You're listening to the Bulldog Hour, getting you inside the Wilson football program with weekly game previews, recaps, highlights, and interviews. Now, here are your hosts, Joe Mays and Justin Rapoff. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode five of the Bulldog Hours fourth season. I am one of your hosts, Joe Mays, and sitting next to me is my co-host, Justin Raffoff. Yeah, it's uh, good to be here. I know we've talked about the show and some of the topics that are on this show specifically, um, but uh, this is the last one of, of this kind for this year, and um, start to... Well, actually, I guess part of this show is... is uh, the first of many, I guess, in terms of previewing teams and, and things like that. But yep. um, we've reached that time. Yeah, we are here. It's official. Football season. We haven't done a live show in a few weeks. We've posted some with a lot going on with player interviews, assistant coach interviews. But we're here tonight live to uh, take feedback and have some interactivity for those of you uh, in you know watching on the variety of platforms that we're streaming on now. I think you can find us on Facebook Live, Twitter's Periscope, Ustream, YouTube, Mixler, that's audio only, and all of that it can be found on BulldogHour.com, and uh, hopefully we can see you watching the show in terms of you leaving comments about what we have to say about the Wilson football team here in middle August 2018, heat week over, training camp done, scrimmage completed. And that's the only one they get because yeah. now it's go time. Uh, Monday, August 20th, tomorrow as we record this, is the start of preparation for, which I guess is technically still being called week zero. But for all intents and purposes, it's week one for nearly every school, I think, in the state of Pennsylvania in terms of high school football. Yeah. Um that makes no sense, but yeah, well, I'm behind it if it annoys other people. Right? Yeah. So. Well, last year at this point, I was like, it's it's not week one because Wilson doesn't have a game. Right. That's, that's right. all See, I care that makes about. Sense. That's right. all I care about. So last a, year it was week zero. A bit of a Wilson-centric show. Uh, absolutely. Just... Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're coming here for like strictly PIAA broad topics, no, this is you've, about you've the Wilson the football side. team. So you need you'll need to uh, move along or come well, back stay. another time. Stay. Yeah. No, we but want just, you to stay. You you haven't found what you're looking for, right. unless actually you found what you're looking for. You just didn't know <laughs> you it. You didn't yet. know it. Yeah. You didn't know it, right? So, yep, good time here as the high school football season pretty much, you know, it's it's ready to go, and people have been excited for for a long time, both of us included. And now we're just five days away from the kickoff of the first game, which is in the Harrisburg area at Central Dolphin. Middle School, that's where Landis Field at Speed Eversol Stadium is located, and that is where the Wilson Bulldogs will travel this coming Friday night to open their season against the Central Dolphin Rams. And in just a little bit, we will have a preview of that game, but first up, we got to take care of our normal business, which is thanking our sponsors, those helping us here to uh, keep the mics on. And that is my dad, as always, at May Sandwich Shop, Andy Her, Matt Cruz, and two anonymous donors. We appreciate all their support over the years. Again, we're in year four of this show. Some of them have been with us from the beginning. Others have jumped on board 
uh, in the past few years and, and even another one just recently in the last couple months. So there's always uh, a lot of gratitude from Justin and I helping us out in any way possible. We appreciate it completely. And, uh, you know, if you're interested in supporting the show, there are ways to do that. And sponsorship and advertising potential is there. You can contact me, Joe, at BulldogHour.com or go to BulldogHour.com for the PDF file of sponsorship and advertising opportunities that we have. And we take the in-kind donations. Visit BulldogHour.com. The website is a great reference for Wilson football fans and the community and info on the show. And, well, Justin's favorite thing. Yeah, like and share. Right. Just spread the word. Yeah, spread the word. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Go to the website. Yeah, and uh, like Joey mentioned, even though we have a few episodes under our belt here this season, um, you know, as we get into the season, that's when you know uh, we start getting to a lot of the things that people want to see, especially like next week when we're at uh, Central Dolphin. You know, that's quite a bit of a drive. Not not everyone's going to make the trip. We hope everyone makes the trip. Um, but when you tune into the show eventually when we're doing um, highlights and things like that, um, you know, you can kind of make sure you're getting uh, uh, your word out there if you want to have a sponsor sponsorship or advertising or something like that. So um, there's, there's a lot of potential to reach, reach the viewers um, and contact us and we'll make sure uh, we can find what works for you. Yes, definitely. So hit us up, talk to us in person, email us, go to the website, use social media, whatever you want to do is good to us and any way you can help is greatly appreciated appreciated all right so our next live show well it's actually next sunday the 26th why mm-hmm. is it next sunday well because we have an actual game to talk about so we are going to recap the game against central dolphin and then preview the labor day showdown between the bulldogs and the mustangs which will be at the friendly confines of john gursky stadium this year that's that's good. It's uh, been a little bit since since we've had a game there. So. Yeah, <laughs> so it's been been too long, too yeah. long. Uh, so we are looking forward to that show next week, episode six of the fourth season again next Sunday, August twenty sixth, eight thirty, right here on the variety of social media platforms. Recapping the CD game live and looking forward to the Mifflin game the following Friday. Again, a couple of fundraisers going on for the program and the Wilson Football Tradition Club. Game and season video sales that continue, DVDs, uh, digital on USB drives. Again, BulldogHour.com under the merchandise. That's where you can get that. And uh, second fundraiser is the jersey sale. Still ongoing. I actually do have, I think, one, maybe two jerseys from the 70s and 80s that have Bulldogs across the back. I think... I think I actually the one only one left I have is 56. So if you were 56 in the mid 70s through 1990, I have a white jersey that you may be interested in. Um, not expensive; they're 20 bucks. And if it's something that you wore, you know, 30 to 40 years ago, it might be cool to have. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, a few decades later. So uh, again, you can check bulldoghour.com for information on the jersey sale, or just send me an email, Joe at bulldoghour.com or Wilson Bulldogs Football at gmail.com. Lastly, the Tradition Club event is fast approaching. The RSVP for members, whether it's players or coaches, of the fall 1978, 1993, and 2008 teams, that ends this coming Friday. So when the 2018 Bulldogs are facing the CD Rams, and if you are a member of one of those old three teams, 
you need to get an RSVP in if you're going to come to the event on September 7th when Wilson plays Spring Forward at Gursky. We'd like to uh, welcome you back and celebrate uh, some big anniversaries for those teams, uh, 40 years, 25 years, and 10 years. So definitely get those in again to Hallie Vaughn at HallieVaughn at AOL.com or me at WilsonBulldogsFootball at gmail.com. So training camp happened this week. Yeah. It was only a week long. That's still kind of two weeks because they have that heat week at the beginning, but it's not the same thing as the three days. No. And now they only get one week of three days because this week is abbreviated and they're entering a real game. So it's a little bit of a right, different... You can't, can't really run them ragged this week and recover and prepare the following week because right. you've got a game on Friday. And Wednesday to Friday, I know the educators, that starts up again. Yep. So uh, schedules get shifted. You start working after school hours, what will be after school hours for the, for the students and coaches. So, you know, this is this is go time. It's ready to go. But I was up at practice a couple days this week, was able to take a few pictures and take in the sights, talk to the coaches, talk to the players. Uh, all around uh, good time. Everyone seemed to be really enjoying it. Uh, so I think uh, 2018 season starting off on the right foot for sure. And that led up to the scrimmage, which just happened yesterday. Justin and I were both there. And, you know, I it's a scrimmage. I don't. You never want yeah. to go in either direction, either extreme, positive or negative, because it is just a scrimmage. And I think the thing that, for me, always underlines that is – how little the starters play as a collective unit. They, I think altogether in the 10 and 10s, you know, 10 offensive plays, 10 defensive plays, they rotate through that twice. I think the what, what you expect to be the ones on both sides of the ball for Wilson played like five plays. Yeah, and it was interesting, um, if you stick around later in the show in uh, Coach Don's interview, um, we interviewed him before uh, yeah. this scrimmage, obviously. But... Um, he actually talks about that the unique position of only having the one scrimmage this year um, and kind of how that's going to be different and some of the things they were ha- have to think about when going into that because they've typically had the two scrimmages and, you know, it, it's just a different, uh, you know, animal for them to kind of uh, figure out this year. And so they, um, you know, I kind of kept that in mind as, as we're watching the scrimmage yesterday, you know, some of the things that they – usually get to look for over two weeks that they're now looking for in one single week. So, um, yeah, you know, like, like you said, nothing, you know, glaringly, you know, great or awful or anything like that, which is exactly kind of what you, what you would expect. You know, I, um, you know, one of the things I saw that this isn't necessarily Wilson related, but you know, um, the, the bigger of the backs that was getting some carries for Parkland yesterday, um, I think it was in the live part, um, you know, hobbled off and then had ice and was on crutches. Now, that's pretty precautionary, like standard precautionary steps. Like, I'm not saying he had a severe ankle injury or anything, but like, those are the things, honestly, yeah. that you look to avoid the most in the scrimmage. Like, yeah. well, if everyone's, like, walking off and not dinged up, that that's a positive already. And Wilson didn't avoid the injury issues with right. uh, someone hurting their hand. And we also had, I think, a, a quad injury as well. Yeah. So hopefully they can heal up over this uh, this shortened week leading up to the Central Dolphin game. And Wilson also was out three other starters that didn't suit up at all because right. of lingering issues. 
I don't really like to get into names no, and injuries. No. You know, these are kids we're dealing with. So, um, just being said, like they're missing two offensive linemen, they're missing a wide receiver. Those offensive linemen also play defensive line. You know, and then you have a wide receiver, cornerback go down, and a reserve running back go down. You know, so a little bit of attrition there leading up to the scrimmage and during the scrimmage. Hopefully, everyone is healthy and ready to go for this game this Friday. But I think overall. Compared to what happened last year, especially in the secondary, I think entering the CD scrimmage or excuse me, the CD game after the Parkland scrimmage, I think, I think they're about the coaching staff is about where the, they want the team to be. Yeah, I mean there was the, we saw some good things on Saturday, mostly um, defensively. The defense yeah, flew defense, around. Defense played really well, uh, especially when those ones and those those key contributors right. or those those key reserves were in there. The defense looked really really strong. Yeah, and then. Um, I forget where I was going with that. Well, but like, oh yeah, but like the defense, the defense did look strong. Um, you know, kind of both the broken up sessions and the the game situations or whatever you want to call it, the live situations. Like later, um, yeah, I, I was I was pleased with kind of what you saw, and you know, because you talk about it, you, you get some generic coaching before those, but you're not gonna. You're not game planning the way you would for, you know, an actual game, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I, I really like the fact that it's against Parkland, too, who has yep. some depth and they have quality players and they're a quality program. And you're going to, like, if, if the kids aren't ready to play, you're going to you're gonna see your needs. And, and we we're also able to do that. We were able to see some things that we need to work on. Um, and that's that's obviously a key because um, it's before the season has even really started. Like right. you, you don't want to be peaking um, middle of August. That's that's never a good thing. So yeah, well, while I, you saw good things, there's plenty of things to work on. Hopefully, we can straighten some of those out and start uh, improving and start with that this coming week. I was told before the scrimmage that Parkham was ranked fourth in the state at six A. So you know, a pretty solid opponent yeah, to uh, yeah. match up against. Again, very little, if any, game planning from either team. Uh, versus the opponent, so there's not you, you. There's some things to take away, but nothing to get overly excited about, and, overly worried about. And yet again, don't get me wrong. We we talked about this earlier, or we joked about it yesterday. I think um, towards the end of the scrimmage, we were just saying how like, yeah, it would it would be great to uh, get to play Parkland, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that'll, that'll be a few months from now. Right. That would, would be, be uh, it, would, it would mean a success for both teams. It would be an incredible success yeah. because it couldn't happen until Saturday, December eighth. In Hershey for the 6A state championship. Right, exactly. So, yeah, if uh, Wilson saw Parkland again, I think both teams would be okay with that. It would be funny that it would be awesome, obviously, for many, many reasons. But it would be kind of ironic that the East Champ would be further west than the West Champ. <laughs> True. Yeah, but hey, that's the way it so works it goes. out with yeah, uh, so it goes. the uh, uneven distribution of um, higher level classified yes. uh, schools. So, yeah, that's the way it works sometimes. But overall... Um, Decent scrimmage. Defense looked really good. Offense had showed moments. We saw actually more Elijah Morales than we saw Avante Lockhart, but I think that was by design again for, uh, you know, to keep everyone healthy. But I think you'll see both of them in key roles this year. Absolutely. Um, which we heard Paul Roberts from WU. I was going to say, you kind out. of, as, P, as uh, the media cycles have been rolling through uh, West Lawn at practices, you see their updates and um, they've kind of hinted at that or not so subtly hinted at be on the lookout like Avanti is the guy I say the guy that people are looking out for. I think people that know the program are looking for it, but not necessarily um until like 
you know, outside the program, I don't know how many are going to be aware of him just because he didn't, he got some time last year, but it was yeah. limited action. But when you look at um, Elijah Morales, like he's kind of flying under the radar too. You know what? That's not always a bad spot to be in because we looked at it last year. I mean, and it, it was, it was true. We talked about it pretty much every episode last year as Iggy went, the, the team, team went, went right. If Iggy had a big game, team had a big game. Um, and sometimes it was, it was just crazy, ridiculous plays. Like I think about some of those re- receptions he made at Springford last year. Yeah, they were, yeah. they were ridiculous, but like, you know, they needed Iggy to, to get it. Um, but you know, you hope that the running back situation this year can develop into a, a solid as well. Last takeaway from the scrimmage. And we knew this and we've talked about it a lot over the last year, pretty much is that this team is young. This team has a yeah. lot of juniors and a few sophomores playing key roles. So, um, what you see this year is going to be uh, hopefully great, but the the uh, future is bright as well. So, uh, you know, I don't want to look too far into the future, but just knowing what Wilson will have back next year, that's also a good sign for the program as well. Yeah. So we like to uh, acknowledge that from time to time. So a uh, quick look at the 2018 schedule now, as we uh, now can check off the first three, which is <laughs> crazy to think about, but those first three are done and we're working our way into the bottom third. And then that middle section, uh, which is the, uh, the meat of this uh, Wilson season this year. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So again, this Friday, August twenty fourth at Central Dolphin. All right, so let's talk about the Rams from Central Dolphin a little bit here with our preview here on the Bulldog Hour, and make sure we've got all of our notes ready to go. There we go. All right. Everything good to go. Okay, so the Central Dolphin Rams, what's their story? Well, last year, uh, a bit of a down year, much like Wilson last year. You know, most programs would be so thankful for an 8-4 and four season and a trip to the you know district playoff semifinals. Um, but that hasn't been uh, the Wilson way over the years, especially with Coach Doms at the helm. 8-4 and four for many people just wasn't acceptable. And I think the play- players would tell you that they were disappointed in that result. Which it just think about eight wins. You doubled. <laughs> you had twice as many wins as you had lost. Right, eight wins. You so many programs. Nine out of ten programs probably would be so thrilled with eight wins. Yeah. How many? How many teams throughout the you know Burks League, the LL League, all the sections would kill for eight wins a year? The majority. <laughs> so, but you know that's not what Wilson was used to. So it was a little bit of a. A sore subject around the community, and I love Coach Dom's talking about all the media interviews. He said yeah. he did more TV interviews at LL Media Day right. this year than he's done in the first. Yeah, he said he used to just kind of go up there, get to sit there, um, and I think he said there's been multiple years where he didn't get any invites back to like where they do the TV uh, interview part uh, because no one really wanted or needed to talk to him. He said at least that's their opinion, not his, um, but. He said this year, yeah, they were like lined up. Everybody wanted to talk to him about it. So um, it's kind of interesting how, uh, you know, well, you change things up a little bit. And now all of a sudden there's, there's a story. And, and you know, we, we've kind of um, talked about it. I, I know um, in your uh, in your preview, uh, you know, that you that you wrote um, for for one of the sites, you know, kind of, kind of alluded to the fact. And you see this lots of places, but like, you know. 
there, there's another top dog right now. Um, yeah. And, and they earned it last year. So, um, yeah, I mean, that the Mannheim Township team last year was, was a great probably team. the best team they've ever had in their history. A generational team, a lot of talent across the board. And, I mean, they ran the gauntlet. They didn't get this as a pushover year. Now, no. people will say, oh, well, Wilson was down a little bit. Yeah, Central but, Dolphin was down yeah, a little bit. But they had to beat know, both those right, teams twice. Right. I was gonna, they beat Wilson. Like, Wilson had four losses. They'd be like, yeah, they oh. beat a four. Yeah, but two of them were were them. Like, And then they had to beat Cumberland Valley. Right. Who right, is yeah. probably the most prestigious team in <sighs> District 3 in terms of championships, right. appearances, so, and like, victories. Oh, and then... They're, you know, they played Pine Richland. Yeah, and they year. played him tough. They played him real and tough. And Pine Richland won the real state tough. title. I think they sacked the quarterback more than he had been sacked all year in that, like, one game. Like, it was, they they took it, they took it as far as, you know, many of the teams in the East are, or in District 3 were able were to take able it the last few years. Yep. So, um, that was a great team. So, like you said, um, you know, it's, it's a little different. Hopefully, um, you know, you hope you can rebound and kind of build off of some of that experience. You know, some of those young guys you mentioned that we were looking to get experience this year got experience last yeah, year, did. which is which is crazy. <laughs> Trial by about. fire. Right. So, um, you know, so you have some of that going, but you look at Central Dolphin, they're, they're it's unlikely they're going to have a repeat of last they year. They are the mid-pens Wilson. Yeah. Them are coming with Valley. It, right. But really, at least in terms of, League titles, it's Central Dolphin because Central Dolphins won seven of the last nine. Now, I'm sure there's ties and shares in there and whatnot, uh, but Central Dolphin is just like Wilson in so many ways. But, you know, six and five last year, what are the expectations this year? I think they're still looking at it as a bit of a a building year, and maybe some at Wilson would say that about this team. So I think it's another interesting, evenly matched uh, game, and we'll get to that shortly, but... For Central Dolphins, some of their biggest names did move on, just kind of like you would say about the Bulldogs. Yeah. Um, maybe their biggest was the play of special teams. Uh, ace, the kicker, Ethan Van Buskirk, was money. <laughs> he won them games at, yeah. or kept them in games, or they always knew they had the potential to win a game late because of how strong his <coughs> leg was. They lost their quarterback again, Brady Straub, their big running back, of Mike Bowling Wise. Ball, yeah, Mike he was crazy. <laughs> Uh, a big lineman and Bo Heschler and the massive, so tall Grant Smith, who single-handedly basically defeated Wilson last year. We couldn't cover him. We couldn't stop him. Yeah, He's the one that put the game out of reach, that when we mounted our comeback, when the kids started to fight back and get so close, Grant Smith's play earlier in the game was kind of the, yeah. uh, the difference maker. Yeah. Um, but they do have some back, including a lot on defense. Um they have eight coming back on that side of the ball, including three of their four linebackers uh, and three of their four defensive linemen and then two defensive backs. So you're saying uh, a few minutes ago when we were talking about how, you know, Wilson is a little bit of an unknown in the running game this year, even though like we, you know, we know and we like what we've seen from Avanti and we saw a, a good amount of stuff from Eliza Morales yet, uh, yesterday at the scrimmage. Um, they get to go against... A returning front seven. Like, Essentially, yes. Yeah, yes. Like, uh, so it's uh awesome. Yeah, but yeah. So that's how it, that's how it's gonna go. That those are the types of things though that don't always happen at a central dolphin or a Wilson because you know, think about that. Like you had all those guys playing last year, but we talked about last year was a bit of you use the term rebuilding, it's not the same for everyone, but you know, again, uh 
to, for a team like this to return that many guys is is kind of crazy. They've got about five starters or key contributors back on offense from last year. Uh, senior fullback Adam Burkhart, uh, tight end Willie Schuler, and then three offensive linemen, two of them seniors in Bollinger and Laporte, and then a junior in uh, Bryce Toman. So a little little green on offense, uh, mm-hmm. where you would probably say Wilson's defense is the better of the two units right now. So you have kind of you know young or inexperienced offenses going against some veteran defenses. So In week one with a one-week <laughs> right, less in, practice. Right. And yeah. they always say the defense is ahead of the offense. Yeah. So um, this could be one of those who gets to 14 first. <laughs> the, the, yeah. I mean, really. Like, think no, about I, it. Based on what's coming back for both teams and how early in the season is, this could be a low-scoring affair. Yeah. Um, which wouldn't surprise because when has a Wilson Central Dolphin game really been, you know, an explosive offense performance? When was the last time any of the teams scored more than – I think four tw- touchdowns. I was going to say 28 has kind I of think, been a magic number the last yeah, couple of years. Yeah, and we'll get to I that because I have the recap of the series yeah. coming up in a little bit. But um, So, again, Central Dolphins, similar to Wilson in both the long and short term for both potential and development. Uh, the likely starter for the Rams this year, I believe, is going to be senior Noah Hoffman, although there's a chance that an underclassman could split reps or eventually win the role. But at least to start the season, I expect it to be Hoffman. And CD, though, is all about the run game. And they're not the Mifflin or the Burst Catholic type offense, but they do love their lead, power, sweeps, and traps. And that play action pass off of that is Because killer, they run it effectively. Like, so destructive. Right, yeah. Well, that killed us last year. Absolutely. The tight end streaking down the field on play actions got us. And um, their defensive uh, mentality, well, they run a 4-4 just like Wilson. They don't blitz a lot. And they're essentially a bend, don't break. We'll give you the two or three yards or maybe the short passes, not but we're not going to give play. up the, the big play. So if Wilson's and when you return score, when you return three linebackers yeah, and three like, linemen, right? You're you're going to make tackles. Yeah. You know they're going to you. You might get that yard or two, and now we're you're stopped, and now you're stuck at fourth and three. You know, like yep. that's kind of their mentality. So they're you know they might bend, but they're not going to break. So Wilson will earn every point they get Friday night. Uh, in you know it's going to be a tough go for sure. So analysis and expectations for the game. Obviously, um, last year it was big plays and mistakes is what doomed Wilson in 2017. Yeah, they gave the, up those big pass plays. A bit of the frustrating thing there too was this was week three last year, wasn't? It? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, we so, opened with Mifflin, we went to Spring Ford, and, and then, then the home opener right, was the so Central like, Dolphin game. By week three, you would hope to see fewer of the mistakes mistakes you know or lapses um you know some of that central dolphin making plays you know like i remember there were some times where we had the tight end covered last year but like you know we've got a shorter guy they've got a tall guy who just went up and makes the catch you know like that's you know that's that's a tough tough kind of thing to to try and you know make sure you can you make sure you can do you know uh handle there so being in week one How's that going to go? Yeah. You know, like, um, well, we hope- talked about that with the assistant coaches last week. Uh, yeah. Wolver and Covell talked about, you know, the moving the schedule around and how is it opening with Central Dolphin versus normally opening with Mifflin. Right. And actually, those first four games that we touched on a little bit, the different offenses Wilson's defense is going to see the first four weeks yeah. is uh, crazy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, CD's up first and it's going to be a tough, close game. Honestly, this is a game and. Justin and I will never ever do predictions, so no. don't ever expect that from us. But maybe in the car ride, the, <laughs> I mean, live on I the air. I knew what you meant. I was just being difficult, as I always <laughs> as am. Always yeah, uh, but something like you know, this is going to be a twenty-one to ten 
17 to 7, um, you know, 14 to 10. This is going to be a, a low scoring, close game. I don't, I would not expect a blowout in any way for either team. I, I don't yeah, expect I a close, high scoring game. Yeah. I just think it's going to, I mean, well, let's look at the series history. So this is the 10th meeting between the teams. Wilson and CD had never played until 1996, and their first four meetings were all in the playoffs. Yeah. There were no regular season meetups, non league games. Uh, 96, yeah. 97, 02, and 2011, again, all in the District 3 4A playoffs. And uh, through the first nine games, there was only ever one real lopsided game, and that was back in 1997. Right. Um, Central Dolphin beat Wilson 44 to nothing. And if you know anything about that game, it was in Landisville in a rainstorm or the after effects of a rainstorm. And I believe Wilson fumbled like 10 times. And I'm not, that's not an exaggeration, I think. I, I'm trying to remember. I, I read the article when I was clipping it. Right, right. And I think Wilson had like 10 fumbles. Now, I'm not saying they lost every one of those, but it but was just, a, it was a messy, messy game. If you look, only twice in the series history has someone scored more than, has the winning team essentially scored more than 28 points and only three times total. Yeah, you know, there was one where it was thirty-five, thirty-three loss. Okay, thanks. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry, buddy. Um, but that was sixteen years ago. Yeah. Now we we haven't also we, thanks. We didn't play. Yeah, we didn't play them that many times early on. It was only in district uh, playoffs, um, number of times in the championship. But then in more recent years, we've played them, um, you know, multiple times, or you know, at least, um, you know. Kind of annually in in this series because it's it's a good test for both teams, um and you know the way the district playoffs have been formatted more recently back in two thousand two and like those teams remember like you lose a game you're done you might not make yeah. the district playoffs right. like that how insane is that think of that now like if they only took the top four um you know it was the opposite problem and that's why they adjusted yeah um I think eight's the right number. In 6A, 8 is absolutely yeah. the right number. And right 6A, for, I think 8 in 4A may have been okay, too. Yeah, 16 is probably the way to go in 5. Oh, you mean, I, I'm uh, talking sorry, when four. it was 1, 2, 3, yeah. and 4. No, I, mean, I would agree. Eight, 8 was probably, 8 was good there. I thought you meant 8 now, and I'm like, 4, that's kind of random that you bring up. No, 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 no. I'm yes. talking about when, when yes. Wilson Yes, 8 was, was probably the way. 16 was too much. 16 was probably a little bit too much. But yeah. anyways, uh, so yeah, this is the 10th meeting. CD actually leads this series six to three, and there's not very many teams that can say they have a better winning percentage against Wilson, as in they especially won more when games. most of the games have been in the last decade. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> in in the last in the last uh, two decades, right? Like if if you look at those teams, if there are teams like that, that from the forties and fifties, right? 60s. Right, it's. Some the, the some schools, schools that don't, don't even exist, exist anymore. Yeah. yeah, I go through the list of all, the, and I'm actually working on an updated list that's going to have scores and dates, so I can do a on this day in Wilson history right. and have like results from all the all time games. Uh, some of those schools that I'm finding, and I'll see like merge three schools merging to become the school I'm familiar with now, like Perk Valley. Oh, was yeah. like three different school districts Man. until like the 50s. Probably each of those little townships. Yeah, and, and boom, well, they all together. merged. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy. So not too many programs can say they have a winning record against the Bulldogs, but Central Dolphin is one of them. And this game this year gets them to double digit matchups. So that's kind of a start where you can kind of see some trend analysis going on. So Central Dolphin wins this one. It would actually be their fourth in a row yeah. against the Bulldogs. Wilson had even the series 
three to three when they won the district championship in 2014, 21 to 10 in Hershey. But then the next year, 2015 at Wilson, CD won by a point. The next year, CD won at home, 24 to six. And last year, Wilson mounted a comeback at Gursky, but fell short to the Rams, 28 20. And now we're back at CD, and you can kind of see neutral fields. You know, you kind of have to, if you take those away, the road team actually is more successful. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see if that works in Wilson's favor this year, but expect a tough, close game to open the season. And and I pointed this out to Justin. And, and if you look at the dates, they've never met opening week. Yeah, this, yeah, this like. is the so, first time. No, um, the first they've time. met the last week for one of the teams a number of times, <laughs> right. but um, have not have not met week one. So yeah. and they zero. will uh, they will do so again next year uh, as. As of right now, Wilson and Central Dolphin will open the season next year on August 23rd, 2019 at Gursky Stadium. Now, I will throw in there that there will be a schedule change for next year. Uh, It will not be Central Dolphin and it will not be Mifflin. And the LL says it won't be Manheim Central. So I think you can fill in the blanks for the likely schedule change in 2019 that the Bulldogs will be looking for a week three opponent for um, personnel issues, Mm -hmm. logistical issues. Um, they will be introducing a new week three team, uh, and that will be slated to be a road game next year. And as soon as I hear who that will be, which may not be until the end of this season, I will obviously let you all know. But Springford will be departing the schedule most likely in 2019. All right, so doing research for this game against Central Dauphin, I looked up um, District 3 the, at the highest classification playoff results. And it's amazing to know that of the 36 championship games played in District 3 at either 3A, which was the highest level from 82 to 84, or 4A, which was the highest level from 85 through um, 2015, and now 6A in the last two years, either Cumberland Valley, Wilson, or Central Dolphin, or two of the three, have played in every single championship game except for eight. Wow. Oh, and also one or two of those teams have played in every single highest classification D3 playoff championship game since 2008. You have to go all the way back to 2007 was the last time Definitely. one of Wilson, CV, or CD wasn't there. Right. And the, and that was back-to-back years of, well, I guess... A team that we shall there. not name. Yeah. There. yeah. But they lost, so it's yeah. okay. But in those crazy years. Yeah, yeah, that was, was those the, those the transition years. Yeah. So I think through wasn't it through oh five was it yeah. was it still four teams or was it eight teams then? I think I think it was four, but I think it was I, I don't know, because State College is in there. So like Well that no, I think in oh four and oh five, I think or maybe oh four, oh five, oh six, oh seven. That was went away to eight. those years. Yeah, like, I know. I yeah, it's it's that's a tough it's that's a, the dark ages for us and <laughs> yeah. the Wilson football because we weren't around. Yeah, I think they bumped up to eight teams in 0405 and then sixteen in 0607, but it was a D three, D six like crossover. Right. Like it competed with all of those teams. Because the team that shall not be mentioned <laughs> well, um would have essentially won district title, essentially, but it was merged and so there was an extra right. what be, what at the time became an extra game for the district title and yeah i guess mifflin was technically the d3 champion of six but right. the, it was a d3 d6 sub-regional right, or because state college is like the only <laughs> right yeah like, they're usually they're yeah. almost the only representative uh-huh, right. from there ever 
uh, and they won. They won. They beat Mifflin, so Mifflin was denied a district championship trophy. Um, but I don't think we're going to cry about that. So I'm all right with that. Yeah, I'm okay with that. So um, Wilson's made ten district three championship appearances, winning seven. Central Dolphins made six, winning three, and Cumberland Valley's made twenty one of the thirty six, winning thirteen. So among them, um, thirty seven appearances. And 23 wins. Well, it's crazy because if you go, like, if you're just doing this by analysis, if you look, we have Central Dolphin on the schedule this year. I know Cumberland Valley is that high one, but we also have um, Mannheim Central on the schedule. So you just yeah. drop to the to 5A the, or 5A or the, the second highest 3A. Yeah. Like, the numbers are up there, like, with those CV like numbers. You yep. know, just absurd in terms of the number of championships and appearances and things like that and then you throw in like mcdevitt or <laughs> lancaster catholic like it, you know you encompass that area of midpen ll and burks you pretty much have 3a 4a 5a 6a like those like if you had to pull out of a hat a team to win a title it's going to be one of those six teams that right, i named right, right. the odds are high on that so well, without further ado, let's get to um, probably the main thing that most people wanted to uh, hear tonight, which is our interview with Coach what we Doms. call a captive audience. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's reel it in. So we did the preview of the game this week. Now let's uh, take it back uh, a couple weeks now. We did the interview with Coach Doms the first day of Heat Week, which was Monday, August 6th. And we sat down with him for almost 45 minutes. So I think you'll really appreciate the interview. I think there's a lot of content there. We asked a lot of questions that people asked us to ask him. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good time. We're always thankful for him taking the time and such a busy schedule to do this with us. So, um, well, without uh, waiting any longer, let's get to that interview. So here's the Bulldog Hours 2018 preseason interview with Coach Doms. All right. So, actually, our last interview this year is probably the one that most everyone wants to hear is to get to talk to Coach Doms here before the 2018 season starts. And we're actually, you're kind of going through a mini car wash here as I already saw you talk to Mike Drago and the 69 News catching <laughs> you on this first day of the heat acclimatization week. Uh, what's it you know, like to be back here for, what, what number of season is it now? I know it's in the 40s. This is 43. 43. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of changes since the uh, mid-70s to, to 2018? Uh, a lot of responsibility changes. Yeah, it's it's far more. You know, in the seventies, you weren't allowed to do anything in the off season, so all we had was weightlifting. And then the week before we started camp, we did a, you know, a real heavy conditioning week, and then we went to camp. But you weren't allowed to give them equipment. You weren't allowed to give them helmets. You weren't. You didn't have any of that stuff. When did that start to change in Pennsylvania football? Uh, mid eighties, mid to late eighties, it really started that they they went from. You can't give them anything until you can give them all the equipment, you know. So they kind of did a 360 on that, or a 180, I guess, on that one. So it's close to when they started the Institute to playoff format. Pretty much, yeah, about yeah, the same time. About, I think it was like 82 when the district playoffs came in, and then 88 with the state playoffs, and that's right. where things really kicked into high gear then. And then you weren't allowed to practice with your team. You were, you know, the team could go out and do stuff. But, you know, now. You can't have mandatory practices, but, you know, everybody has their organized practice in the offseason. You have to stay ahead of the game. Before we get too far into 2018, one of the questions that I asked the uh, kids and the, the coaches that I've already interviewed was, what was the biggest takeaway from the 2017 season? 
I think the disappointment of not finishing a couple of games, uh, we've always been very, very good at the end of games. And, you know, if you look at the two, the Mannheim Township game in the regular season, uh, the Mifflin game in the regular season, the Mannheim Township game in the playoffs, all three of those games, we had an opportunity at the end of the game to pull it out. And traditionally, we've been able to do that. And this, this past year, we did. And, uh, you know, as I look back on films and things like that, I really attribute that. Uh, you know, we had an okay team chemistry last year, but, you know, when the chips are down and, you know, you have a team that's pulling together and it's fantastic chemistry, they tend to pull it out. So we worked pretty hard this year on, in the offseason on leadership and chemistry. And I think, you know, we've got a couple of really nice team leaders, and I think, you know, our chemistry's been good so far. Obviously, it's got to build, but it's been good so far. Yeah, the, the senior group of players that I talked to, I talked to eight of them a couple of weeks ago, and then I got to talk to a few of your coaches last week. They all mentioned that the, um, the chemistry and the leadership, the way the team is coming together has been pretty significant and a lot different than last year. And it's better, but you know, obviously you don't know how that's gonna, until you go through the hardships of a couple of battle-tested games. You know, if you lose a game, how are they gonna respond? You know, that's gonna be the big part. But so far, you know, we're happy with where we're at that way. So besides the loss of the senior players, we had a couple of uh, players that we expected to see this year move on, as well as a few coaches no longer with us. Um, just let us know what are those differences we're going to see this year, the absence of a few players and the coaches. Who's new to your staff? Well, the players leaving, obviously, you know, uh, McFoy's the big name one. Everybody was waiting to see because of his speed, and he's going to Berks Catholic. Uh, it's going to affect us a little bit in terms of the outside running game, and, you know, him out of the backfield was going to be a factor. Uh, but, you know, hey, Kids got to move on. They got to do what they want to do and what they feel is best for them. Um, you know, we move on from there. We we don't you know cry over you know spilled milk. Uh, as far as the staff, obviously Jeff Brubaker resigned because he wants to watch his son play high school football. Uh, John Lorchak, who was with us several years ago, uh, has taken uh, Jeff's spot. He, along with uh, Brandon Doms, will handle the offensive line. Brandon does most of the work with the tackles and the tight ends. And John does most of the work with the centers and the guards. And I think, you know, John was with us. He left to go to uh, Exeter to be an offensive – or excuse me, to go to Reading to be an offensive coordinator. And then he was an offensive coordinator at uh, Exeter for a couple of years and was at Spring Ford last year. So he has kind of built his – uh, coaching pedigree and gotten better at it, and you know uh, he's all in. He's into it, and I think uh, we're going to move forward. Kids will have to adjust because it's different coach, different style. But you know, I think we'll move forward with that and be in good shape. You talk about a little bit different style with Coach Florchak, and I got to sit down and talk to him for a little bit. But is the offensive philosophy changing at all? Not just necessarily focusing on the departure of Brubaker and Florchak coming in, but is there anything that? We expect to see differently this year or is it kind of the status quo from the past few years? Yeah, it's going to be pretty much status quo. We're going to be 50-50. We're going to throw a lot of short passes. We're going to run a lot of zone, zone read stuff. Um, I think our offensive line is as strong, physically as strong as it's been in a long time. So hopefully we'll be able to create some holes and run the ball well. And that'll be big. Um, so our quarterbacks have an opportunity to mature. 
how is the quarterback competition going? I know the two seniors are the ones that are expected to be competing for that that spot. Is you know, is it leaning one way or the other, or is, or is this something that's going to be decided throughout camp? You know, both of them throw the ball pretty much the same. Uh, Heckman is deceptive in his reads. You know, he's sneaky in his you know his, his read part of the game. Utrecht is a little bit better under pressure and avoiding rush, but you know, until you put the pads on and go full bore, you don't know how any of them are going to react. So, uh, you know, they both have their strong points, and we're going to wait and see. That short preseason is going to be, you know, we're worried about that part. We'll get to that in a little bit, but it, are, do any of the underclassmen have have a chance to sneak in there, or is this a two-man race for sure? Uh, based on the summer, it's a two-man race. Okay. You know, almost mostly because of just knowledge base and understanding the offense. Williams, you know, the junior is probably next in line because he understands the offense better, but he's, a, you know, he's a big step behind those two. Okay. And then the sophomores are, you know, their heads are spinning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's been a lot of talk in the, the media throughout the state of the ongoing discussions about a variety of things. Uh, can you kind of touch on? First off, the, any rule changes that actually would impact the on-the-field game this year, then we'll get into the PIAA stuff. We haven't had our rules interpretation meeting yet. That's this week. But all, the only major rule change, and it doesn't make any sense, is they threw the passer into the unprotected uh, player category. Now, how they're going to interpret that, I mean, while he's throwing the ball, you're not allowed to hit him? I mean, he's always been protected once he's thrown the ball. So I don't know if they just did that to clear up language or what. But we'll find out on Wednesday at the location. It's kind of like the application of that. And at the yeah. highest level in the NFL, they're talking about that helmet rule. This is kind of a yeah. smaller level. Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they really tightened things up last year with that unprotected player. And I didn't think it was a big deal, you know, for the most part. You, know, you don't get many calls. It's just took away the cheap shots, which is what you would. So, but other than that, no major rule changes. Okay. So at the PIAA level, there's been a lot of talk about fairness or equality, whatever term you want to throw out there, that is going into effect this year already in one aspect, and then possibly down the road with ongoing discussions from entities outside of the PIAA. Um, first of the, the transfer stuff, what kind of impact do you think that will have on football as a whole, and what about directly here at Wilson? Well, the transfer rules basically read that after your sophomore year, if you transfer, then you're ineligible for playoffs for one year. Um, and then they have the 50% rule that if you play 50% of your games, you're not eligible for uh, to play if you transfer in that season. And then they have the 21-day rule that you have to sit for 21 days regardless if you transfer, and even if you transfer you know, after the second game or something. Uh, those are all passed. You know, those are all there. I believe they went into effect today. They go into effect August sixth. Yeah. yeah. Today. Um, I don't know how much they're going. You know, they they have hardship rules so that you know the wording is is such that you can no longer transfer. It used to be you could transfer for academics and all the other things. Well, all of that is specifically says you can't transfer. All those rules apply. You can transfer, but all those rules apply regardless of if you're transferring for academics, a better social, whatever. In other words, they took the if out of it. Before it used to be just you couldn't transfer for athletic reasons. 
they still have a hardship scenario in there. Like if your parent, uh, if their job, you know, was moved from one place to another and you're moving as a result, you know, you just apply for the hardship. I don't know what they're going to do in terms of, you know, if somebody's moving from Daniel Boone to Wilson, I, you know. Yeah, that was kind of where my <coughs> misunderstanding, not really misunderstanding, but confusion on the rule was if someone's moving just because they want to move, how does, why do you get to tell a student they I, don't get to play in the playoffs? I really think that they're going to have some legal battles on that one. Okay, yeah. Know? I mean, it's one thing to just do the transfer, but if a person physically moves their domicile, their dom you know, where they live, not I'm living with my aunt, right, I'm right. renting here and here, but physically sells that house and buys that house. I think yeah, double A will have to ease a little on that. Well, they said there will be an you know exemption yeah. hearing and possibility like that. Absolutely. That was the one that came to mind immediately. Like, what if you just move school just districts? Move. You only have one residence. Like, there's nothing going on where you're living with a family right. member. That just seemed really. They're going to have to deal with that. Draconian. Uh, yeah, they're going to have to deal with that because you know they're punishing a kid for somebody wanting to move from a starter home to a permanent home, right? You know, so. Uh, were you or someone from the district represented at that summit the, that they were calling the anti-PIAA summit about the uh, boundary, non-boundary discussion? Yeah, our principal and our athletic director were both. And have you had meetings with them to discuss what was went over? Are you uh, completely up to date with that? Pretty much up to date. I mean, they're, I don't know that anything definitive has come out of it. They're, they're still... They're waiting for someone to push the legal issue. The, the way the rule, and, and I think the IAA interprets the way the policy reads, which simply says they have to be given equal opportunity to participate. Well, if there's playoffs, I mean, if you're in 5A and you want equal opportunity, maybe you want to compete in 4A. You can't do that. So what's the difference if, they're, if they have a playoff system that's comparable to every other playoff system? You know, that's what they're trying to push for. And I don't know if anything's ever going to happen until there's a legal, until somebody wants to, you know, push it legal. So PIAA just is standing the ground saying that the legislature says we're unable to do that, even though there's plenty of other states surrounding us that have no problem separating the boundary, non-boundary. Exactly. It's the way the PIAA is interpreting the rule. Now, the, I, I would imagine that the non-boundary schools and the parochial schools have a pretty powerful lobby in Pennsylvania, so I'm sure that that's part of it. But you know, my personal opinion, I don't really care. You know, it is an unlevel playing field, but we just look at those games as challenges. It makes means you're going to have a very, very rare, takes a very rare team to have an opportunity to win states with those things. You know, you look at when we played Pittsburgh Central Catholic, I coached Big 33 that year. Five defensive backs were on the Big 33 team, all going to Division I schools. All five of their offensive linemen are going to Division I schools. I mean, you know, we're lucky when we get one or two kids. Yeah. But, you know, I always thought it might be interesting if they would sit down and say, okay, you can go to that school if it's within a certain boundary, which is where the old Catholic school system is, or if you pay your own way. Not, Not because the they're all scholarships. Right. They're all scholarships. And if you look at it, I sit there and say, okay, how many of those kids are really strong academically? Or are you scholarshipping just as many academically as you are athletically? 
But if you look at it, you know, your St. Joe's and they're great schools. But, and, you know, a lot of those kids that are playing there are coming from underprivileged areas. So they're getting opportunity to go to one of the best academic schools and athletic schools for free. I don't knock the coaches. No, it's just the system as well. And that's what the uh, the equity summit, I think they were calling it, was right. to kind of get a fact-finding mission and see what is it that we can do about this. And they're all about getting, and I think you were the first person I heard mention this, and it may have been the first time that we talked to you three years ago, was your solution was, let's see four, four divisions or classes, whatever you want to say, in the playoffs for boundary schools and two for non-boundary. Sure. And that's what came out of the summit, too. That was what they would like to see implemented. Yeah. Now they're going to run into the problem of what about Philadelphia? Philadelphia literally is a non-boundary school because anybody in the city of Philadelphia can go to any high school in the city of Philadelphia. Now, and there's, I don't know how many public schools, 90 or something? There's a lot. There's a lot. So, you know, that opens up that question. And then what do you do about schools that accept tuition students? You know, you have Pine Richland who, you know, has had a Division One quarterback, the Jurevicious guy. Notre Dame. Is it Notre Dame was from Ohio. And the one they had the year before, two years earlier that we played was from West Virginia. I mean, that their driver's license. But Pine Richland accepts tuition students. So, you know, there, there's there's a lot of issues to deal with other than just, you know, that boundary, non-boundary. I guess you can just say everybody's non-boundary and open enrollment. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's one opportunity <laughs> there. And that's one option. Well, the schools that have it say it's a, it's a major problem because the people transfer all the time. So this is, this is a long-term process. This isn't yeah, something that's going to be solved anytime soon. Yeah. It, it only got worse in the last decade, I think, opening up when Philadelphia was added in well, the mid-2000s. Even when Philadelphia was added, they weren't football powerhouses. They only became football powerhouses in the last five or six years, seven years. They yeah. just started, hey, let's all of a sudden let's uh, bring in a, a, you know, the coach at St. Joe's makes $115,000 a year to coach football. And that's what he does. He's their... He's a, he's a recruiting coordinator. That's his position. Well, guess what? If I'm a recruiting coordinator, who am I going to recruit? <laughs> uh, athletically talented individuals that will help you win. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, let's put a pin in that. I'm sure we'll come back to it in the, in the future, whether it's this season or next. But let's talk a little bit more specifically here with Wilson and what's going on um, for the 2018 season, something that everyone is finally on the same playing field in terms of schedule with everyone starting in quote-unquote week zero, which I guess technically would be week one now. I don't I don't know how well, that works in the nomenclature. It is, but technically you don't have to play that week. Right, you still have the option. You still have that option, but I don't know that anybody's not playing that. At least everyone in the Wilson purview is now playing the right. first uh, opportunity to play a real game, which for Wilson will be August 24th against Harrisburg, or excuse me, in Harrisburg against Central Dolphin. Um, is there a challenge to you this year starting that week sooner, or do you like it because now you're on the same space as everyone else? Um, in terms of playing Governor Mifflin, it's, it's going to be beneficial because I think that's a big edge. They played week zero last year and we didn't. You know, when you look at special teams and all the little things that you can clean up between the first and second week, they cleaned it up. Uh, getting ready for week zero, I mean, Three weeks, we have a game. I mean, and we're not allowed to hit this week. Next week, we'll hit, and we have one scrimmage. 
And then the following week, we're getting ready to play a football game. So the inexperienced kids are the guys that are going to really suffer because they don't have as much time to get ready. I think the other, the other group of kids that gets hurt are the borderline kids to play. Because normally what we would do in a first scrimmage is we would play, you know, all those seniors would get pretty much equal time and the juniors that we thought were in the hunt would get equal time. And then we could sit down and evaluate on film. We could show them on film their strengths and their weaknesses. And you had that scrimmage, you could do that. Then the second scrimmage, the people you thought were going to be your starters will get two-thirds of the time. And the other guys would only get one-third of the time because you need to get ready for your first game. Now we go into this, we don't have that first opportunity anymore. So we got to pretty much decide, you know, who those two-thirds, who's going to get those two-thirds reps, which doesn't give as much of an opportunity to the guy that maybe is marginal. You know, it's not as fair to them. But, you know, as I've been telling them from the first day of practice in, pre in uh, spring ball, you have to show us this spring and this summer that you're ready, you know, when the time comes. Otherwise, you know, somebody's going to be in there getting more reps and you're going to, it's going to make it that much harder. Doesn't mean you can't work your way in the lineup. You just got to work that much harder. The, the first three weeks of the season, always the non-league slate, and then the LL changed things up a, a bit. And now your first, first four weeks are non-league and the teams are, are identical, just playing a little bit out of order with Central Dolphin first, followed by Mifflin and Springboard. But, um, instead of having that expanded league slate with someone like Lebanon, now you get to play Mannheim Central. Well, you know how we try to duck everybody and always play that real cake, you know, <laughs> non-league schedule. You know, not Central Dolphin, just one of the best teams in District 3. Mifflin, big rivalry, always one of the Berks League winner. You know, Spring Ford, you know, is playoff team down in District 1 for the last six years. Familiar with you, you guys. Know, Mannheim Central, you know, another cakewalk team. You know, it's... <laughs> You know, we dodge all the tough ones, but you know it's funny because I wasn't really happy with that decision by the by the league, which was told to you, not yeah, asked. Right, and I mean I don't know. I mean I can understand they wanted to move Lebanon down. I can understand they move effort down. So move them down one and bump a team up, and you know you know keep everybody playing seven league games. Mannheim Central doesn't want to play us. Uh, they said that. Years ago, when we played them, they dropped us for that reason. They said they can compete with us. They're a very good football team. But because of our physicality, they're going to lose one or two players for two or three weeks or more. And, you know, like I said, they don't have the depth to be able to afford that, even if it's just losing special teams. So, but we have no choice. That's going to be our schedule for the next two year cycle. So. So my follow-up to that is then, and you kind of mentioned and alluded it to about how strong the non-league schedule is. You know you're playing these teams all of next year as well. When the next talk for the following two-year cycle comes up, is that there, do you expect to change because of how tough it is, or are you just this is what we like and we're going to keep chugging, chugging I think along? The, the first question will be, will the LL decide that there's teams that are ready to shift, you know, did Lebanon get back on the, you know, on the wagon and get things going? Did Effort to start winning some games, you know. I think if there's if they're starting to get it going, there may be a chance. Or if enough people, you know, enough teams say, you know, this is, I mean, they have nine league games. And we have set, we have six, right? Because they brought uh, Monster uh, Valley went down. Yeah, the, the, the Octo and Octorora came in. Came yeah. in so, so you know, hey, there's some, you can't some things you can't control. 
it's out of our out of our control. So, so uh, one last one. Well, a couple more left on the schedule because there's a couple interesting things coming up this year. But um, one of the ones that stood up and I talked to the, the players and your assistant coaches about it was having to go back to Manheim Township again this year. And that was just kind of an idiosyncrasy in the schedule. Of you're making your third trip there in the last year. Uh, it, it, I know you guys don't really have an input on the schedule process, but how did, do you have any idea on how that goes about, how they determine? I don't. I know every two years they, they, they redo it. Redo the, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a different schedule. And obviously they have to set it up so that three of those games are home and three of those games are away. Yeah. And it's not just our, you know, the our Three home, three away. Everybody's going to be three home, three away. Well, it makes it tougher because so, kind of talk about leaving and Cedar Crest right, coming up. Cedar Crest plus Lebanon departing back through a whole big whole wrench into the lot, problem this year. A lot of it. So, so. yeah, it's, I mean, we go to Manheim Township and we go to Manheim Central. So we're going down to the Manheim region into the you know, Death Valley. You're also so, going back to McCaskey where we were last right. year, but last time our only like, game on grass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but we, you know, you went there last year. But when we played Cedar Crest, the last time they were up, we hosted them. We hosted them this year. And the same thing with Penn Manor. Penn Manor was just here. I'm sure they're right. saying, why do we have to go back to Gerson yeah. this year? <laughs> Probably not looking forward to it. No. The, the last schedule bit to, to point out to talk about was the, the Gridiron Classic. It's coming up uh, the week after the Manheim Township game in, in, in October. And I actually had asked you about it off the record last year after this interview because I had heard about it. It wasn't officially announced yet. And I know you talked to um, the, the, the fighting staff for that video announcement, which was really cool. But what does it mean to you to be able to go back there as a, as a, a, co- a head coach now? Because I know you, you coached there when they, Wilson was still playing there in the late 70s. Um, you know, kind of full circle. You played there, assistant coach, and now going back as the head coach. Well, I think it's going to be a neat experience for the kids. You know, they've got that giant scoreboard in center field, which will be behind the visitors team. So our kids will see it all the time. Kids are going to be looking at the scoreboard all the time. Um, I, we, we, we talked to them about the instant replay. I said I wouldn't want to be the official, but what they said was they were already set up. They understand the problem of the officials with that. So anytime there is a, a touchdown or a big catch, they will run it at game speed, but they won't slow it down. Okay. So that you're not going to see the receiver is definitely in. It's okay. going to be game speed. When they go, I think in a little in a little bit of an attempt to protect the officials, yeah, because fans would get really nasty at that point. But you know, it's going to be different. Uh, that that part's going to be neat. You know, I'm, it's going to be interesting if you go no huddle because um, defensively looking at the scoreboard to see the replay, and they'll be running the next play. Uh, but you know, we had to work out a lot of logistics. You know, with um, camera crews and. And uh, end zone cameras, coaching boxes, all that. And then I guess they're going to, I guess the one end zone with the swimming pool will be Wilson's end zone. Yep. And, and they can, people can buy tickets there for 20, $27, I think, get some all unlimited food and, and uh, into the game. And if they want to go swimming in the pool, <laughs> and the Hanfield will have the other end zone. And, and you know, Hopefully, I think it'll draw a good crowd from Wilson just because of the novelty of it. Yep. And they asked, what about Hempfield? Are they going to travel? I said, well, if they're five and two, then they'll have a big crowd. Or six and one, they'll bring a big crowd and the novelty of it. But, you know, if they're two and five, then they won't travel. It's just the way it is. 
It'll be interesting. I'm a little concerned with the sod. There's a little bit of unevenness where there's some places that are slightly going to pitch down or slightly pitch up. Very subtle, not much different than a typical crown field in, in grass, but I'm concerned with weather. Yeah. You know, if we get a lot of, you know, deluge or whatever. Now, we're the only game that week. Right. Right. Everybody else, the other weeks, I think there's three games. Yeah, it's Thursday, so. Friday, Saturday, the first two weeks. And then I thought I had been scheduled Thursday, Friday, but it looks like you're the only one scheduled. Right yeah, now, we're the only one. October 5th. The third week. Yeah, yep. we're the only one. But they, I know they have, I, I talked to uh, the people out there and they have provisions that if it's really nasty weather that they'll play in their alternate planet, they'll go back to the home field or turf field or whatever. It's really nasty because you know, if you get a deluge like we had Friday night, oh, yeah. you know, they won't be able to handle that now. But they said if they had to, they'd resod. So they felt pretty comfortable the field would be in great shape. Who came up with that idea? Was that a, a fighting thing? I think it was a fighting Phil's thing because they're re-turfing the whole field this year. And they thought, you know, before they do that, you know, obviously football's a lot harder on the turf than baseball. But I think they thought before they did that, that might be a neat public relations thing. Because if you go back to the 70s, 60s and 70s, every, virtually every high school team, with the exception of maybe Wilson, played either at Albright or Municipal Stadium. Right. And they used to play Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night. Yeah. Four games right yeah. in a row. And, and it was in terrible shape. The infield was the infield. Mm -hmm. You sank up, if it rained, you sank up over your shoes and mud. But, uh, you know, the field's going to be perpendicular to what it was then. And I guess the question was asked, somebody asked me, when's the last time we played, did we play our home games there? And why have we always played at Wilson? And, with the exception of 58 and 59, we've always played here. Right, yeah. yeah. 58 and 59, the field, they, they turned the field. The field used to run, the field was over where the tennis Along courts the tennis are court, and ran yeah. parallel to Grandview Boulevard. And when they were redoing the whole thing and turning the field this way, that was 58 and 59. So we didn't, the field was all torn up. So those two years we played it. Municipal or Albright, I forget. I think a little bit of both, depending yeah. on the opponents. Based it on the is, research that right. I've been doing with the game films right. that I've been converting and stuff. But they were the only two times that we weren't playing our home games here. Having a, a school district a field to play right. on. So, um, Wilson last played, if I'm correct, at Municipal, or yeah, it was Municipal Stadium uh, in 1979, um, when Muhlenberg was still using their, that as their home field. Um, and actually, two of your current coaches uh, were on that Wilson team. Ernie Wolver and Paul Gravel. So I got to talk right. to them about the, the last time they got they got to play as a player there, and now they're going to get the coach as a coach there. So I think I made them feel a little bit um, long in the tooth with that remark. Yeah, um, well, we've but, got some old timers. <laughs> <laughs> um, besides, you mentioned the, the, the field issues that could come up. Are is there any issues logistically from your standpoint of losing a home game here at Gursky? Are you treating it kind of as an away game because you're going to have to take buses and? No, we're going to treat it as a home game. We're going to dress here, uh, you know, everything. You know, come back here, shower, and that. So it's just it's almost like you just got a short hop, okay. fifteen minute hop by bus to get there. Um, you know, I was concerned financially because, you know, obviously you lose the revenue, the gate, the concession stands and that, but I know Drew worked that out with them, what the revenue sharing is going to be. And they said that they, they feel pretty comfortable. They'll make just about the same amount. So 
I know we're looking forward to it for, for certain. That's something that I've been excited about since I heard about it a long time ago. And then when you confirmed it with me off the record last year, I knew that that, that was going to be a, a big point of the 2018. I, mean, I don't know how we're going to get all our championship flagpoles up now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'll work on that. I'll see what I can do. Uh, so the other thing at an administrative level coming up was uh, changes to the playoff format. You know, with teams starting in week zero, that's actually now technically back to a 16-week season. And I know the District 3 champ at 6A will have a bye week, which is an interesting aspect. What are your thoughts uh, about having a bye in the playoffs for whatever team represents the District 3? Well, the... That's the kind of the weird part. Some teams are going to play 16 games, and some teams, if they make it to state playoff finals, and other teams will only play 15. You know, when you talk wear and tear on the body, that one game is huge. Um, I was glad when they went to it, they didn't decide to move the start of playoffs back a week. You know, because I'd rather have the bye after the district final, because, you know, let's face it, by that time of the year, you got. 13 games under your belt, scrimmage under your belt, you're physically, you know, you've taken a pounding. Sometimes it's probably probably good to have a week. I mean, if you look at last year, if we'd had a week off before our last playoff game, you know, we were down with four defensive backs, starters that didn't play in that game. They probably would have been back if we had a week off. So, you know, the, the pros of it is you get a chance to recover physically. The cons of it is we're not used to that. We've never played a season with bye. So how do you keep the kids sharp, and how do you set up your practice schedule that week? So that would be a challenge for us, sort of like the challenge of getting ready for week zero. So from a coaching standpoint, yeah, we've got a lot of things. And we've spent a lot of time talking about, you know, preparation for week zero. We're going to do a lot more this week than normal. Uh, you know, you lose some of those two-a-days, so you lose a lot of mental time. Lots of changes that you know, we as a coaching staff have to deal with as well. But besides that aspect of it, there's also the complete reorganization of the way the brackets play out when you get to the state playoffs. And now District 3 is back in the East, uh, where we had been for a long time and then vacated for 11 or 12 years where they sent right. out West, having to play in State College, Altoona, and whatnot to get to that semifinal, the game to get to the state championship game. Um, do you know why? Did they ever say why they decided to do that? Well, the reasoning behind it is... They moved 11 and 12 mm -hmm. out. Now, District 3, I think, has 17 6A teams this year. Yeah. 11 and 12, I think, combined have 23. So when we were only taking our 17 out, 40% of the teams were in the West, 60% of the teams were in the East in 6A. By taking those, you're moving six more teams out there and six less teams here. So it got a little bit closer to 50-50. I don't think it's 50-50 yet. There's still more in the East, but... The number of teams, 6A and 5A teams, balanced out better. Okay. It kind of seems kind of weird taking them all the way from the east to the west. But well, yeah, I mean, it's Philly schools. Philly, city of right, Philly, Allentown, that and, whole area. And then Allentown all right. going out there. Yeah, so it's even, they took farther east, part of it, out west, but put District 3 back in the east. And now the District 3 champion of at least 6A, whoever that may be, will get to play District suburban schools such as that you're seeing Springfield this year member of that right. um Coachville I think yeah, is probably the preseason favorite <laughs> to represent them that's quite They're the team loaded. they have yeah. um but you know that's also home of CB West and the Downing sure. Downing schools and all those so there's a lot of great football teams to come out of there um so obviously it's not going to be any easier but it's definitely a, a different 
uh, type of team that you're going to see. Or also going to have an opportunity to go see them play. Right. The week before we play them. Because we'll be off and they'll be playing a game. You know, it also, you know, when you think about it, it'd be kind of nice. I mean, the, the distance between here and Coatesville, yes. you know, both teams are going to travel, uh, you know, half an hour. Yeah. Well, when I talk yeah. to the, the, your players and your assistant coaches and we talked with this, the playoff reorganization, the first thing they said was, we don't have to travel as much. And that's all that really matters. They're like, we don't have to go to Altoona. We right. don't have to go to State College. We'll get to play somewhere because whether it's Wilson Township, Cumberland Valley, Central Dolphin, Harrisburg, whoever represents District 3 is all inside of this bubble much closer to the yeah. suburban Philly schools no than we are to the Whippeal or whoever else. Uh, well, you think about West. it, if, it, if it's a Central Dolphin or a Harrisburg playing, they may play here. True, true. You know, if it's us, you know, playing, we're probably looking at somewhere down in the O&J, mm-hmm. Spring Ford region. You know, I don't know. But either way you look at it, a lot less travel time. Uh, has Wilson hosted a non-Wilson football game in recent memory? Uh, Van, 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 Van Reed Lincoln Park. <laughs> I usually feel like Mifflin is tend, tend to be the host for a lot of things. Yeah, I wasn't sure if, if yeah. Wilson uh, well, had we've always been playing. But yeah, I guess that would you be. Know, they, <laughs> they don't. They don't plan on it because we're typically still playing. And once you get to the state level, well, we could obviously host a state level playoff game. You know, and all. Who's playing who? The, the last thing on the schedule this year that I, and I just noticed this, and I'm not sure there's any real change, but it was just something different from the last few years, at least that I can remember, is the District 3 Championship game playing played on Friday night at Hershey. Oh, I think. Oh, is it really? I yeah, look I, at I that. just, well, um, oh, what's his name? Rod Prisco, the, that works for District right. 3, put out the, ske- the master schedule. And um, so I, I believe. Well, what are they going to play? Oh, because there, there's three weeks in a row district championships, and so every game's being played on Friday. Um, if a five, where's five? When's five going to be? Five played? is Friday. later, the week after Thanksgiving, Friday. Or did they go to sixteen teams? Yeah, they did yes. Okay, and, and yeah, it wasn't this, up on that. The six A championship is in the middle, so like I think it's like single A and three A or something like that in the first week, and some six uh, A and. 2A or something like that in the second. Well, they, what are they going to, where are they going to, so they're still going to play two games that week. Uh, yeah. That's but they're moving, the, wow. They must be moving something around earlier in the day, I, I, but I saw that the date was listed as Friday. Right. That's new on me. I, I don't look that far ahead. I better double check it because <laughs> now I'm wondering, like, did I misread that? But I, when I, when I, I looked, I was like, wow, that's, that's a Friday. Yeah. I didn't even yes. look, I haven't looked that far ahead. The schedule I put out had it Saturday because I just assumed. Bad on me. Well, I will double check that because yeah. I don't want to be spreading misinformation because we just talked about it on the show we did last night um, when we put out the, the kid interviews. We talked about how there's yeah. a couple more changes to the schedule. Uh, you know what? That, that doesn't matter to us. I mean, but uh, like I said, you get the extra day of recovery, but, you know, we're so used to going that Friday. It's... Yeah, I think that the bigger – it must be 3 and 6A the same time because someone from Why I'm Missing pointed out that there wasn't – like the lev- playing field was level now because my missing was in that controversy last year with where the location of the game right. or the day of the right. game and things like right. that. And someone pointed out that they're all being played on Friday. I think that's what kind of pointed out to me. Well, then somebody's going to play Friday early, like one o'clock or something. Yeah. And that won't be. This would be the Friday before Thanksgiving, the Friday right. leading up to Thanksgiving week. 
And that wouldn't be us. No, I'm sure 6A would be set for 6 or 30. Right. Yes, that would be the 3A team then. That's who it's spotted with. Well, anyway, the last question we have just to kind of get your take now on the currently dead Burke LL merger. Um, that's, you know, they kind of put a pin in that, put it aside, said, we'll maybe come back to it down the road. Um, what was your initial reaction to the news that came out in January? You know, from a Wilson standpoint, is something that you see as a positive or a negative? Is something you hope to happen? I think it was good for football. I'm not necessarily Wilson football because it wasn't really going to affect us. Right? Not much, you know. Uh, but for football in general, you know, numbers in football have been declining. You know, con the movie Concussion gave us a really bad rap, which is more about the NFL avoiding what happened as opposed to concussions. Uh, and some of your struggling programs that are going 0 and 10, 1 and 9 every year, their numbers are dwindling in there because kids don't want to play. I mean, let's face it, you know, when you don't win any football games, it's not as much fun. So what that was going to do is put, you know, the two or three programs from Burks and the two or three programs from the LL into the same division. And now they would have had a chance because now you're playing, you know, all those teams are pretty much on par with each other. And those smaller schools would have had an opportunity to win some football games and maybe get football built up again in their schools. Well, I think the schools that really suffered are the small schools, you know, because that would have really helped them a lot. Um, you know, whether they went, whether they went with four divisions, five, I mean, I thought four divisions, everybody plays a nine. Four made the most sense to me. Yeah. Everybody plays eight league games and then you have two non-league games. But I think there was so much in so much argument or indecision over five divisions, four divisions, six divisions, you know, and nobody could make up their mind instead of just coming out and saying, okay, there's going to be four divisions. Everybody's going to play eight league games and two non-league games. Here's we're going, to, we're going to go strictly by size the first year, first seed, first cycle. Here's what we're voting on. Maybe it would have passed, but there was just nobody knew how could get a handle on anything. Is there going to be five divisions? Is there going to be four divisions? Is there going to be six divisions? Based on power, based on strength, based on size. It was, you know, it's a shame. You know, I think it would have been good for football, but I think too many people. Uh, we're looking out for themselves only and not looking out for football in general. Of course, you know, it would have made, I, I think the big schools are still going to play all the big schools. It would have made that next tier. The, the, or 5A or whatever, yeah, you, want whatever, call, whatever you want to call it. Where they're going to, there would have been a lot more difficult teams because now you're going to have Burks Catholic in there, Manheim Central in there, Cocalico in there. The question of whether or not Mifflin was up or down in, you know, in there. I mean, now you're going to have five, you know, instead of just having one or two tough games, now they're going to have five or six tough games. You know, and I don't know. It's, well, I hope if they were going to four that Mifflin was going to be up, up with us. If they were going uh, to four sections. I don't know if they would have been. It would have been close. So that would have definitely made things tough. Because I was always assuming that if it was uh, – Four nine-team divisions at Pippen would have been one of the nine in Section 1 or whatever right. you would call and it. Right, which would be good. I mean, for us, it wouldn't matter if we play them one way or the other. But, I mean, if you figure, Penn Manor, us, Hempfield, Gasky, Anheim Township, Reading, and then there's a whole bunch that are going to be very right. complicated. together. 
you know, who would have been Including the Exeter ones? and Mifflin. Exeter and Mifflin, Cedar Crest, uh, Conestoga Valley. Or maybe Warwick. Warwick. But they dropped the 5A this you year. Know, so a whole bunch of them. Yeah, but those are all 5A schools. Right. Big 5A yeah, schools. True. So, you know, we would have been probably six five a or six in the six six a and three five a or seven six a and two five a something but uh, from what you've heard or your feeling on the discussions is it something that you think they will revisit in, in the coming years because i hear you know you i don't think so you don't think so you think it's pretty much I think done. It's dead yeah unless somebody you know pushes it again and i don't know if anybody's going to push it like i said i think if they would have pushed it this is what's going to here's the format here's the structure here it is boom it would add. A, I mean, it got voted down like twenty-five to two or something. I wasn't even close. Yeah. You know. I said. I said that. Really, I think if you start seeing scheduling issues in the LL for LL schools, like you've seen for the Burke schools the last couple of years, then I think it may right. start to come up again. But the small schools now with the realignment in LL, I think, have nine league games this year. Yeah. Right. Because they, they overloaded section right. three. So, whatever. And so those like, small schools never had a problem getting games. Right. So like, It's Mannheim Central getting non-league right, games. Right. So it's I think us getting non-league games. Yeah. Know? Unless you see scheduling conflicts start to come up. Well, Burks Catholic think, is facing that now right, because exactly. nobody wants to play Burks Catholic. Right. Yeah, well, they're playing Central Dolphin the week after we play they're, Central Dolphin. Right. So, and and they're playing a team out of Maryland that's big team. So, you know. It'll be interesting. I mean, Central, they went through that with Bishop McDevitt. Nobody wanted to play Bishop McDevitt, and they forced them out of the league. Then they forced them to move to 6A you know, or 4A at the time. You know, I don't know. There was just a Sports Illustrated article last week about a guy in Delaware who built up one of the teams uh, in the Wilmington area, a private school. And, and no like they, they, they were going to cut the team, and he talked them into keeping it, and he turned them into a powerhouse. But now no one will play. No, nobody will play. Yeah. Yeah, it's all cyclical. I mean, yeah, yeah. it never sticks around. I mean, we see it every every few years in the LL league. Well, anytime you have non-boundary schools, you're going to have that. Right. People are going to want to play because you know, I mean, Burst Catholic should be playing in Section One. Yeah, in the in, in Burks. Burks or, right. No, no, no ifs, ands, or buts. It shouldn't even ask. It should have been yes. You're playing in Section One, but they left it up to Burst Catholic, and they opted to play in Section Two. Well, that shouldn't have been an option. I mean, you know, it's a ridiculous. You know, some teams are probably going to forfeit to them again, like Kutztown did last year. I mean, if you have a, because they're loaded again. So if you have a, if you have a team that you've got thirty kids on your roster and you know you don't have a chance of beating them, you know, why play? Yeah, it doesn't benefit. Anyone doesn't benefit in any in any capacity. Your kids get crushed, and then you run the risk of a couple kids getting hurt, and then you get the next week where you maybe could win, and you, you know you're beat up. Yeah, it's it's tough. Well, I think that's all we have for you. Thank you so much for taking yep. your time here in between practices to sit down and talk with us. And uh, we look forward to talking to you after victories on Friday night. Sounds good. Thanks, Thank Coach. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Uh, thanks. All right. So you're stuck with just me here as uh, Justin had to take off after the uh, the long program here this evening, but we think it was definitely worth it. We thought Coach Doms gave us a lot of good, good information on the season, on the state of the PIAA, on scheduling, uh, team chemistry, and all that. It was a, a great interview, uh, a long one, but a good one. And we again thank him for taking the time to talk with us. And we definitely hope to catch up with him after victories on Friday nights this fall so i don't really have too much else to say and we can wrap up the show here 
Again, uh, Wilson begins their regular season this Friday in Harrisburg at Central Dolphin Middle School. Again, that's where Landis Field is. Uh, Speed Eversol Stadium is at Central Dolphin Middle School outside of Harrisburg. And the game will start there at 7 o'clock. Just to remind you from milestones we touched on in the spring and earlier this summer, but um, defensive coordinator and outside linebackers coach Ernie Wolver needs 13 wins to get to 200 with Wilson. And uh, the Bulldogs program is actually approaching 800 games played overall. We're right now at or excuse me, 789, which means should Wilson get to the D36A quarterfinals, which would be the first round of the playoffs, that would be Wilson's 800th game. So hopefully something they can achieve this season. Um, you know, what can you expect from us on game nights this year? Make sure you like the Wilson Bulldogs and Bulldog Hour Facebook pages, Twitter pages, Instagram page, websites. Again, hit up BulldogHour.com. I just put up a post on the Wilson Bulldogs football Facebook page, shared it on Bulldog Hour and on my personal Facebook page, a variety of ways that you can interact with the football program with me and Justin and just get news and information on the team. So check that out. Uh, and you know, bookmark those links and follow and like those pages. Uh, live game updates with photos and game video will be coming at you on Friday evenings. If you're interested in advertising and sponsorships, again, reach out to me. We'd like to get that wrapped up uh, in the next few days. And again, post game interviews with uh, victorious Bulldog coaches and players. So I think that's everything. So we're going to wrap up episode four dash five of the Bulldog Hour. Justin and I will be back live next Sunday, August 26th, to recap the Central Dolphin game and preview the game against Governor Mifflin. So for everyone at the Bulldog Hour and for the Wilson Bulldogs football program, I'm Joe Mays. That was Justin Rathoff. And remember, go Bulldogs. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Bulldog Hour. Want more Wilson football? Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Or visit www.bulldoghour.com. The Bulldog Hour is a feature program on jmnjrradio.com.